This is Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. I'm Lucy May. The first day of spring is a week away, and the new movies for spring and summer are hitting the box office. They include typical summer blockbusters, superhero-centric flicks, and, of course, film festival favorites. With the Academy Awards behind us for another year, film critic T.T. Stern Enzi turns his attention to the new season in his column on WVXU.org. He joins me now to discuss 10 screen gems he'll be watching in the months ahead. Welcome back, T.T. Great to be back. Thank you. Great to have you here. Um, You can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100 or emailing talk at wvxu.org. I feel like we need to start with a little bit of an Oscar recap. Everything, everywhere, all at once just cleaned up. Do you think the movie deserved all those awards? You know, I feel like I should have been ready for this question. (laughs) (laughs) I... I'm a little torn over the idea of this. I mean, again, I really enjoyed the film quite a bit. It won seven of 11 awards. Uh, It felt very inevitable over the course of the award season. So I think anyone was surprised by any of the the wins. Um, But I do, there's a part of me that kind of questions, you know, was that really an Oscar film? Mm. Um, Because to be quite honest, I... If in my heart of hearts, if I have to be honest, I look at my top ten list. I don't. I'm not sure that I included it on my top ten list for the year, mm. even though I did enjoy it quite yeah. a bit. Uh, and I was probably more in the Banshees of Inisherin camp, so I was a little disappointed for them. Uh, but I do respect and like the idea that that was a film that a lot of people saw, mm-hmm. and not just Oscar voters. So if we are looking towards trying to find a way to make sure that you have a better split in terms of audiences that are going to tune in to the show who may not have seen all of the Oscar films, but may have seen something very crowd-pleasing and that was really exciting for them, or that spoke to them in a particular way, then I think it worked out pretty well. Mm -hmm. It certainly was an innovative movie, too. I mean, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of things I saw in that movie that didn't seem to be derivative of other movies. Well... You know, I I wonder about that, too, because, again, it was one of those films that was compared an awful lot to, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe because of the whole multiverse kind yeah. of aspect to it. So it had a lot of that in, kind of written into it. That's but true. it found some really interesting kind of indie style ways of kind of juicing yeah. that notion. Yeah. Maybe I was just hypnotized by the hot dog fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people were. And, yeah. and you know, David Byrne. Had the fingers on last night during the song performance. So, yeah, we, we, we all know that the hot dog fingers were, there, were definitely there. Yeah. So, and Ruthie Carter made history as the first black woman to win two Oscars. That, that was a big moment. Hey, regional connection, too. Mm-hmm. I'm always excited to, to support and celebrate that. It was, yes, a lot of fun. I remember when she won for Black Panther. Um, because as a matter of fact, I believe the year that she won her Black Panther, we also had uh, Steve Bogner and Julia Reichert win for American Factory. Um, and I feel like I need to make a quick shout out that in terms of the In Memoriam uh, segment last night, it was it was really touching to see Julia's name mm. up there, too. Because um, just personally, uh, she and Steve are filmmakers that I've known for a, a good while here in the community. Um and I got to spend a lot of time with them on the festival circuit back in 2019. And to know that she had the opportunity to go through that process, really receive her flowers then, um, 
is amazing. And I'm actually getting a little choked up just even thinking and talking about her now. So last night was really special and it was a great reminder for all of the work that she had done, both as a filmmaker, but also in supporting regional filmmakers here as well. Yeah. Well, I do want to get to the films for the spring and summer, but one more Oscar question. With Brendan Fraser's win for The Whale, it was a huge night for the studio that made that movie, that made Everything Everywhere All at Once. Do you think that could have implications for the kinds of movies that get made? I would hope so. Again, we do know A24 uh, has a great reputation. Uh, They had a great reputation before Everything Everywhere All at Once. But yes, now... Um, And I think also because of the way they handled their campaign, they didn't campaign like a typical studio. They didn't go out and pay for expensive consultants and all that kind of stuff. They just sort of said, hey, we made a great film. Let's send these filmmakers out. Let's send the cast and crew out. Let them kind of speak for the film and rep it themselves. And there's a great opportunity there if you've got a a strong title that you can can let the people that, that made it put it out in the world. Let them go out and support that. And if that continues to happen on the indie side and maybe even on the studio side as well, then maybe we'll see fewer of the, you know, kind of stereotypical blockbuster films and we'll get some more interesting titles out there. So that's that's actually hopeful and exciting in that respect. Yeah. Well, I know your column, which is terrific, and as I mentioned, it's on WVXU.org now. I encourage everyone to, to check it out and read it. One of the things you start with is this idea of getting people back into movie theaters. I know that was a theme during the Oscars last night. That's something that that a lot of folks who are involved in the movie industry want to see for a bunch of different reasons. I have to admit, I'm one of those people who's been really slow to go back, and I love movies. What do you think it's going to take to make um, scaredy cats like me (laughs) get back into the movie theaters? You know, I wish I had a simple answer to that. I... Because, again, I understand the the concern and the struggle with with making your way back into the theaters. It took me a while as well as a critic. um, And we've talked about this off air. I'm fortunate enough that I can go during off-peak times. Uh, But I will say that, again, I've been been to a couple of festivals now here recently. And I've I've been in, in crowded theaters again with people. I love that experience. I have gotten over some of the discomfort that I've had with that. Festivals will do that for you. But again, outside of the festival experience, how do we get people back on a daily and a weekly basis? I think is the real question. And it's it's going to be about the films. Mm. You have to find and create great films, uh, great opportunities for stars to, you know, showcase with their talents and, you know, the, the imagination of those filmmakers that will inspire us to come back. And if the film is big and crazy and zany enough, then we'll we'll start to we'll start to break down some of those barriers that we've built up over the last few years. But um, I I can again I can understand people that need a little more time for that. Mm-hmm. And again, we've also gotten used to the idea that we can just watch stuff. You know, you can wait. the The windows have shrunk in terms of exhibition. You know, you're going to be able to see it at home. Um, but the home experience is not the same thing, and I think we all know that. Yeah, we all do. So yeah. let's let's hope that those memories of what it was like to be in a theater with your friends, seeing a great film, having a good laugh, sharing that communal laugh and joy and passion for the art form, will be enough to bring us all back. Yeah. 
want to remind our listeners we're talking about new movie releases for spring and summer with film critic T.T. Stern Enzi. You can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100 or emailing talk at wvxu.org. So let's get into these new movies. One of the ones that you write about in your column is 1001. Um, We actually have a portion of the trailer that we can play right now. Tell me more about your foster mother. You like her? Would it make you feel better if you came and stayed with me? Yeah. All right, we're gonna go to Harlem, where I grew up at. The city had him. He's not supposed to be with me. Can't you get locked up for not that? Not if you keep it to yourself. Where's my dad at? He's gone. But you wouldn't like them anyway. I got somebody else in mind. So powerful. Tell us a little bit about this movie. You know, this is a title again. Early, early festival season. You've got the sun. You know, Sundance has already come and gone. It's given us some interesting titles like this. This is a story of a woman whose son ends up in foster care, and she decides to take him and start a start in a life and sort of you know recreate their lives together. Um, obviously, it's a very powerful kind of idea, but I love the idea that again, this played you know, at a festival like Sundance, and now it's going to be released later this month, uh, which is pretty fast for a title like this. You would think that something, you know, on the indie side, it's going to take a little longer to find an audience. You know, that's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm excited that, again, we're seeing studios and even smaller indie uh, outlets that are kind of saying, yeah, let's take a chance on some of these stories and let's really get them out in theaters early. We don't have to wait for award season or something like that. Let's get them out. Let's make sure people get the chance to see them. And I was really excited to be able to promote this as part of this segment in particular, because this is a title that's probably going to get lost in a lot of the other bigger titles that we're going to be talking about as part of this segment. But I wanted to make sure that to let people know you don't have to lose sight of some of these stories. They they can be just as powerful and just as meaningful and can stand up in their own ways to the big blockbuster titles. Yeah, it sounds like such a powerful story. I mean, it's relevant to so many people and it's it's set in New York, but it's not this kip, typical kind of love letter to New York that so many New York indie films seem to be. Yeah, it's it feels like it's going to have a grittier, emotional, family-driven kind of narrative to it. And... Yeah, I feel like, you know, we were talking about what's going to bring people out into theaters. Maybe every once in a while it is a title that is about family and it's about trying to deal with the difficulties of keeping a family together. You know, we can we can all kind of know and understand that experience. And, yeah, maybe to see that on the big screen will, you know, kind of take us back to our own experiences, you know, on a, on a personal level. Yeah. You also have air listed in your uh, column, and with it has Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Boy, they've been busy, haven't they? <laughs> They're in a, several of the movies you've listed in your they, column. They have been very busy. I have loved the idea of how they've been promoting this film because, you know, based on the name and the little bit of the trailer that people have seen, we know it's about Nike and Michael Jordan, but they have done an amazing job of letting us know that we will probably not really see someone playing Michael Jordan Mm. in this film. It is going to be sort of that behind the scenes, what were the business issues and decisions and the meetings that were taking place that led up to Nike saying, okay, yeah, we're going to give you a shoe line that will become 
the biggest shoe line of all time. Yeah. We have a little bit of audio from the trailer for this movie, too. Go. You ask me what I do here. This is what I do. I find you players, and I feel it this time. Okay, it's risky. When you were selling sneakers out of the back of your Plymouth, that was risky. Don't change that now. For a rookie. Yes. Who's never set foot on an NBA court. That's the literal definition of rookie. Yeah. What's the plan? We build a shoe line around just him. I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made. Who's the player? Michael Jordan. Just the energy in that clip. I mean, my goodness. I I have had the biggest smile on my face throughout the entire time that they've been promoting this film because I've got to admit, I'm a, I'm a North Carolinian. Mm. So Michael Jordan, he's always going to be my goat. I, <laughs> I cannot wait to see this film. This is Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. I'm Lucy May. We continue our conversation about new movie releases for spring and summer with film critic T.T. Stern-Enzi. You can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100 or emailing talk at wvxu.org. T.T., you have so many great movies in this column, which, again, I urge everyone to read on wvxu.org. I really was interested in Renfield. Had not heard about this, but you had me at Nicolas Cage as Dracula. (laughs) Talk to us about this movie. Well, you can't talk about the idea of Nicolas Cage as as Dracula without talking about the fact that, again, I believe it was in the early 90s, he was in Vampire's Kiss. (laughs) And, you know, this was early Nick Cage before, you know, he blew up, before the Oscar nomination and the win. And he was just always this really kind of fun, edgy, you weren't exactly sure what he was going to do kind of (laughs) presence on screen. And now he's become, again, this really iconic figure for exactly those kinds of things and those kinds of roles. And to, to imagine him playing Dracula when, in theory, he's not the lead of this film. It's really Renfield, who's his assistant, Nicholas Halt is playing him. Um, I've been watching the trailers for this and the same thought keeps cross- cropping up in my head. I'm like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I want to see the film, but I want to see Nicholas. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I just imagine he's going to be chewing up the scenery with those big old fangs whenever, <laughs> he's, gotta, whenever he's in it. You gotta love it. It's yeah. going to, it's going to, I feel like it's going to be a real blast and a lot of fun. And honestly, again, I think the fun is what we are going to be looking for this summer. I I really do believe that, yeah, it's going to be that kind of zany spirit that's going to, you know, we're we're going to need it and we're going to feed into it. Yes, I could use some zany fun. You also have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse on your list. I wanted to talk to you about this. I thought the original was amazing. Such a great story, but also so fun to watch. Such inventive animation. What Talk to us about what you're expecting from this. Yeah, I mean, I was excited about this one. Again, for anyone who knows me as a critic or just as a person in general, I'm, you know, I'm sort of a comic book nerd. I grew up reading comics. I was dying for one of my kids to get into comic books <laughs> when they were growing up. And fortunately, my youngest did for a little bit. So we've enjoyed that. Um, but what I love about the Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse sort of series and what they're doing here is they're taking the Spider-Man character and they're sort of saying, okay, yeah, we are reimagining who this character is. It's not Peter Parker. The Miles Morales character is a really different spin. 
caught us at a time when comics and comic creators were kind of thinking outside the box about these legacy characters in the first place. And they have now really figured out a way to treat Miles as if he's as much of a legacy character as Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. So to know that you're going to get his story and, again, his continuing adventures as he's trying to figure out who he is or who who and what it means to be Spider-Man is really exciting. And this is a two-part film, too. Mm. I, I think a lot of people probably need to hear that. You're going to see this now. But they've already kind of let us know that there's going to be a follow-up to this story. So just just go into it. Be ready. Um, and if it works as well as the first one did with the, the different animation styles and all that, I think it's going to really kind of pull people in and leave us with enough of a cliffhanger that we're going to be really – eager to see where they where they follow how they finish it all off yeah the kind of movie you'll want to see on a big big screen you definitely want to see it on a big screen yeah i want to talk to you also about the blackening if i understand correctly this is the one on your list that you've already seen so yes. no spoiler alerts but <laughs> i love 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 this concept um talk to us about this movie and i guess i also wonder did get out help pave the way for a film like this you know, that's an interesting question. I think, yes, I would say starting off, yes, I believe Get Out probably did kind of open the door for this a little bit. Although the funny thing here is this is definitely more of kind of an almost outrageous sketch comedy kind of approach. So it's not necessarily trying to completely go into, you know, a social critique and, and those kinds of things. But it does sort of set up the notion you've got a group of a group of friends who have known each other since college. They get together, they go to, you know, an Airbnb kind of cabin style adventure together. They're all black and they find themselves on a horror film or a horror film scenario, which of course leads them to question, well, which one of us is going to die first? Because we all know the horror trope about, yeah. <laughs> you know, the black character being the first one to die. We're all black. So how does that how does that work in this case? Tim Story, who directed um, Barbershop and, you know, two of the three Fantastic Four films that didn't quite necessarily go as well as Marvel and Fox would have wanted, um, is behind, he's helming this. And he's, again, with Barbershop, he's shown he's got a, you know, a great way with humor. Um, I'm excited to have seen, have seen this in a big theater at a film festival with lots of people the audiences went crazy for it when mm -hmm. I saw it in Toronto. I think audiences are going to have a lot of fun with it when it comes out. Um, and yeah, again, I, I keep saying this. I really believe it. Fun. Yeah. Fun. I, I was so glad to see Jay Farrow as part of this cast, too, because yes. I've missed him he, since he's left Saturday Night Live. It's it's going to be great to see him on the big screen. It will, because on, in my case, I'm I'm tired of watching YouTube clips of him doing impersonations. <laughs> I'm, and, and I'm saying that in the best possible yeah. way, because I've gone down that rabbit yeah. hole quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. So it's a lot. It's it's far more exciting to me to know that, yes, I'm going to get to see him on screen and really love what he does there. Yeah. Talk to us, too, about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. This is one of those big blockbuster type typical summer movies. I have to say I was so relieved that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is not the love interest for Harrison Ford. I was so afraid that it was going to be, oh, get this, you know, fun young woman. And I, so thank goodness for that. But tell us a little bit about the premise of this film. 
You know, I'm honestly trying to stay away from learning as much as I can about this film going into it. I was not a huge fan of the last installment, the Crystal mm. Skull thing. Which kind of jumped the shark a little bit. That's what I'm going to stick with, Colin. Yeah. It, was the, it was the Crystal, <laughs> crystal Skull thing. Right. <laughs> but what has happened for me over the time since that film is, A, we've now seen Harrison Ford in the Apple TV series Shrinking doing comedy and doing sort of his usual gruff, almost straight man kind of role. But it it reminded me of how much I've actually enjoyed him and missed him as a screen presence. Mm. So I am looking forward to seeing what they do with this. I'm hoping it's going to be the last one. You know, they had the opportunity, honestly, two films back to let that be the trilogy, (laughs) let that end it all. But... I mean, he still is a really active and fun and engaging presence. So I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm willing to I'm willing to reinvest in him enough if this is going to be the last one. And this should be the last one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's fair. Well, the last movie I want to talk to you about is Oppenheimer. Tell us the premise of this movie. It seems so important right now with what we're just the time we're living in with the war in Ukraine. Talk to us about Oppenheimer. Right. This is this is going to be a powerful film. It's going to I mean it's looking at the the creation of the atomic bomb and the team behind it and it's obviously we're getting this from Christopher Nolan who over the course of his career has always found really interesting ways of kind of exploring really fascinating almost mind-bending kinds of narratives. This one doesn't necessarily feel like it has to be as mind-bending as he's has done in the past, but I think it's going to be far more important. And from what I've heard in terms of the special effects, they've talked about the idea that they did not want to use CGI to create that experience of mm. the, the first atomic explosion. So in my mind, I'm kind of going into it wondering, okay, this guy has all of these ideas and tricks up his sleeve. What is he going to give us? to make us feel the power of that particular moment and the destructive nature of it all. Well, he seems to be one of those directors who just looks at the world a little differently. Um, Mm. Would you agree with that? I think he definitely does. And again, I think he's the perfect choice for this. But I would also say, too, you know, and I think I mentioned in the piece, there's a really large and eclectic cast that he's bringing together to make this film, too. And the reason why especially this film made this list is I honestly believe we're coming off of, you know, the 95th Oscars. <laughs> I really feel like if, if he hits, if he hits this one on all of the cylinders that we would expect him to, we'll be talking about Oppenheimer at the end of the year. Mm. Well, and that brings us back to the Oscars where we started our conversation. Navalny um, won an Oscar last night. It's also a film that's very, topical based on what's happening in Ukraine. Talk to us about, you know, the context that that, um, that, that film comes into it with, with the Oscars last night. And I, I know there was a pretty emotional uh, acceptance speech that... You know, yeah, there was a pretty powerful moment last night. And as someone who sat and watched the award show with his Oscar ballot, this is one that I got wrong, but in hindsight, I'm kind of kicking myself because the narrative was really there for the entire time for this to, to for this film to win. Mm. You know, again, we we know what's going on in the in the Ukraine right now. Navalny is is jailed for being an outspoken um, 
member of the Russian society who's sort of saying, yeah, we, we, we as a country and a society are doing, doing wrong in the world. Um, so to recognize that film on that stage last night and to have his wife and kids there mm. uh, was an incredibly powerful moment. This was a film, as a matter of fact, when it was on its festival run last year, I tried my best to try to bring this in for the Over the Rhine International Film Festival, and we weren't able to, to get it. Um, but I think the programmers and I, we all knew that it was it was a powerful film on the circuit. Um, and yes, obviously last night the, it was sort of the culmination of all of that that power. And again, the festivals that were able to bring it in, you know, gave it a lot of love. It got a lot of support along the way. And CNN, good for them for, you know, kind of standing behind this and pitching it. And again, making sure that it's the campaigns and everything like that are not necessarily what wins a, wins awards. At the, the end of the day, you have to have a powerful film. You have to have a film that works, that has meaning um, or has resonance in a particular moment. And this one, probably more so than all of the other films in the documentary, in documentary category, was a film of the moment. Mm. Well, I've been talking with film critic T.T. Stern-Enzi, who's going to stick around for our next conversation. Thanks for sticking around, T.T. I'm really excited about this. (laughs) Up next, as fans await the new Dungeons & Dragons movie, we'll talk about why the role-playing game is seeing a resurgence. This is Cincinnati Edition.